Well, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, praise the Lord. Now, as as we read the Gospels, and when we're focusing on the resurrection accounts, and we go back and forth and from one to the other, we find, you know, little details here that are not in this one and a little here that are not in that one and so forth. And sometimes it it's, uh, takes a little, little work. Maybe you have to write it out on paper to figure out the, the timeline of all the individuals and who they are and what they did. Uh, you may have in your library a harmony of the Gospels. Um, where they and, and the earliest harmonies of the Gospels were written in parallel columns. So you'd have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then there would be, of course, spaces in any of those where one had more material than the other, but you could look across, you know, uh, you know, two pages at least, and you could see, try to put together the flow of things in a harmony. Um, but a number of years ago, uh, when I was still, I was about Derek's age, I got a book called, and you may have this in your library too, The Life of Christ in Stereo. And it's a harmony of the Gospels um, in the uh, New American Standard translation. But instead of putting things in parallel columns, it it weaves it all together in one continuous story and with, you know, notations as to which gospel this sentence or paragraph or, or item came from, so you can follow that. And then there's all kinds of stuff in the back of the book that also help you in, in that regard. But what I would like to do this morning is just to read a little bit of that from a harmony uh, of the Gospels, and this well, this uh, book was a project by a man named Johnston Cheney, and I didn't know him, but uh, the editor and the man who wrote the foreword were two men that I, I did know, and Mr. Cheney uh, died shortly after he completed this, this work, I think before it was even published. He had passed away from a, a terminal illness, but this was his his last project in life to write this harmony of the gospel. It took a, a lot of work and a lot of time. So I'm going to read this, and if you if you just listen, and, and because it's going to bring together all the elements of all four gospels together in one running story. So it begins. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene. And the other Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came, and certain others with them, to see the sepulcher, bringing the spices and ointments which they had prepared. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone from the door and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him those on guard trembled and became like dead men. (laughs) 
make an adjustment here to my hearing aids. Now, after Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Mary came to the sepulcher while it was yet dark and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. She ran, therefore, and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, he whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They took away the the Lord from the sepulcher, and we know not where they laid him. Peter, therefore, and the other disciple arose and went forth and ran toward the sepulcher. And they began to run together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the sepulcher first, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore came following him, and he went into the sepulchre, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and the napkin which had been about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then therefore the other disciple also who had reached the tomb first went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples departed again to their abode, wondering at what had come to pass. But Mary kept standing outside the sepulcher, weeping. While therefore she was weeping, she stooped and looked into the sepulcher, and she beheld two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they took away my Lord, and I know not where they laid him. And when she had thus spoken, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you bore him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning about, she said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, dear teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now Mary Magdalene went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept that she had seen the Lord, and he had spoken these things to her. But they, though hearing that he was alive and had been seen by her, disbelieved it. Now Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, came to the sepulcher when the sun had risen. And they were saying among themselves, Who will roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? For it was very great. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Then on entering the sepulcher, they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. But it came to pass that as they were much perplexed about this, they saw a young man sitting at the right side, clothed in a long white garment, And they were greatly amazed. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling garments. And as they became terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the angel answered and said to the women, Do not fear, 
Do not be amazed, for I know that you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Why seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Remember how he spoke to you while he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and he said to them, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. But go quickly and tell his disciples and Peter that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said to you, Lo, I have told you. So they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for trembling and astonishment possessed them. Neither said they anything to anyone, for they were afraid. And they started to run to tell his disciples. But as they were on their way, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And they came and seized him by his feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus to them, Fear not, go and tell my brethren to go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. And they returned with great joy and told all these things to the eleven apostles and to all the rest, But these words seemed to them as idle tales, and they did not believe the women. And there's much more as that story would continue in the appearances of the Lord, but that's enough uh, for for now. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read this, For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now, so the Lord appeared to a large number of people. We want to uh, take a, I want to take a look at four individuals who have received special or personal, a special or personal appearance of the risen Lord. And these four, the first one came from a place of great darkness. The second came from a place of great failure. The third came from a place of great privilege. And the fourth came from a place of great religion. Wide difference of people here and experiences. So first of all, we turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Luke, chapter 8. And we meet the first person who came from a place of great darkness. 
So the, the chapter begins that soon afterwards he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. So this is early in Jesus' public ministry. And also uh, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And then the other women are also named. So there, besides the, the twelve, which we know by name and we see that see and read the most about, there were a number of women who were so very faithful to, to working with the Lord Jesus and the apostles in his ministry. And one of those was Mary Magdalene from whom seven demons had been cast out. Mark uh, 16, verse 9 also makes reference to that. So Mary came from a place of great darkness. Now demon possession, I think, I could probably safely say is something that those of us in this room are not very familiar with. We have read about it. We may have heard about it. We may have never seen it. And certainly, I don't think we've ever experienced it. To be possessed by demons, and not one, but seven. What a horrible existence that must have been for her. And what was life like? How did she live? Her family would have put her out. People would have disassociated with her. What did she do? How did she make a living? But Jesus had come there, and believing in him, he had cast out seven demons. So Mary had a deep love for the Lord Jesus. Now as we go across the resurrection accounts, uh, men... The men in, in these accounts did not do very well. The greatest amount of courage and bravery was shown by the women, not the men, with only few exceptions. We see that, first of all, right in the, in the crucifixion. Now, John was there as near to the cross as they would be allowed to come. But the rest were women, and not a one of the other apostles is even mentioned as, as being <coughs> And we know from on, the, on this first day of the week, they were in hiding for fear that they would be arrested. But the women showed the greatest amount of courage. And foremost among those was Mary Magdalene. Now, if we go to Matthew's Gospel, hold your finger in Luke, we're going to come back here uh, to Luke chapter 7, but in Matthew's Gospel, in verse chapter uh, 27, towards the end of the end of the chapter 
that in this starting from the cross it says in verse 55 many women were looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him among them was Mary Magdalene and it was evening and there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who himself had become a disciple of Jesus and he went and asked for the body of the Lord and he was buried wrapped hastily in a clean linen cloth, verse 59, and laid in a tomb. And a large stone was rolled across the entrance of this tomb. Now, Mary (coughs) did not fear for her own life, did not fear for her own safety in identifying with Jesus as one of his disciples, one of his followers. I was reminded of a parable, and I'm going to read about this one in Luke chapter 7. The parable is introduced by this experience of Jesus. It says, now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and this is Luke 7, 36. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of a person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So, Jesus has been invited by someone who is not not friendly. This Pharisee is invited to him to his house, but more along the lines of, having a close encounter with this new <coughs> rabbi who's creating such a sensation in, in the country and, and so many are following him, but he's not from our, our group, he's not from our party, he doesn't come from our traditions. And so wanting to know, know the enemy, invite him uh, to your house for dinner. Now, if we invite you to our house for dinner... And you come, we're going to greet you at the door, and give you a hug, hearty handshake, we're going to welcome you in. Now, in Jewish tradition, you come to someone's house, they welcome you with a kiss. Maybe on each cheek. You come in, you have a, you be seated, and then a servant, if they were wealthy enough to have a servant, would come and wash your feet. If they didn't, some member of the household or the family, if probably the youngest child gets the lowest duty, would would get foot foot washing, okay? As soon as they're old enough to do that. So Jesus has been invited to this man's house, but he doesn't extend to him any of those courtesies. So Jesus says this in verse 40, The Pharisee's name was Simon. And he said, Simon, 
I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, the wage of a common laborer would be about one denarius a day. That's the best we could do. So this is a lot, this is a lot of money. 500 is like a you know, year and a half or so of wages. And, well, 50 is a month and a half anyway, almost two months. It's a good sum of money, but one is certainly ten times larger than the other. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? So there's a question. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Now, with regard to this woman. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But, she, but since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. So if this was a, an especially honored guest, besides the greeting with the kiss and the washing of the feet, you might anoint them with oil as a, as a symbol of high honor to some, someone who was your guest. But the Pharisee didn't do any of those things. But this woman did those things. For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven. For she loved much. For he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Considering the subject, he who is forgiven much loves much. This was Mary Magdalene. She had been saved from a place of such great darkness. And she loved much without fear for her own life. Now, certainly we know there are some sinners who are worse than others. But all of us are sinners. If we consider ourselves to have been forgiven little, because we're better than the general run of people, then maybe we don't love much. But Mary Magdalene loved much. The second person we want to look at who gets a special appearance of the Lord in the resurrection is a man who was saved from great failure. He came from great failure. You can guess who that is. It's Simon Peter himself. If you're still in Luke, go to 22. Luke 22. In 
verse 31, and this is something that Jesus had told Peter in front of the other disciples earlier on. He said to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan wants to have you and really shake you up. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So, did Jesus' prayer get answered there? Yes, I think he did. But it might not look like it at first. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and and you, when once you have turned again, or repented, strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter thought, I am way better than that. I am not going to abandon you. Not me. Somebody else might, but not me. Verse 60. And and we're now in the the courtyard of the, of the high priest in this middle-of-the-night trial is going on, and, and uh, after the disciples all fled in the garden, they all ran away, John was the first to stop his running feet and turn around and go back, and, and Peter after him, following from a greater distance, but John went into the courtyard of the high priest and he was, his family was known by many people there, and so he didn't try to hide. And John is the youngest of the apostles. John let Peter in, and Peter slipped in, went over, sat down by the fire, keeping a low profile. And you know what happened. Well, he denies that he even knows the Lord at all. And it says in verse 60, his last denial, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And only Luke records this next thing in, in chap, chapter, uh, in verse 61. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. So wherever this was taking place, wherever Jesus was at, standing before this, the Sanhedrin, He could look over in the courtyard and make eye contact with Peter. And Peter denied the Lord the third time and he heard the rooster crow and he looked up and there's Jesus looking right at him. What do you think that look said to him? Well, I don't think it was, you dirty dog, how could you? No. But it was one of compassion. Oh, Peter. But Peter looked at the Lord and remembered the word of the Lord. How he had told him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, if you live very long, 
you've been a Christian very long, there have been times when we have given a testimony and, and we have proclaimed how, how great the Lord has worked in our life and, and, and how great it is to be a follower of Christ. And then there probably were times when we weren't doing quite so well. Have you ever made your... Well, we didn't think of it this way, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but we've made our brags. And then we have not done so well. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've been really disappointed in yourself and said, man, I can't hardly even stand myself? Or have you ever said in your mind, I can't believe I did that? I've had all of those. Peter had one. He went out and wept bitterly. He he was so disgusted with himself. I said I would never, and I did. Chapter 24. two disciples on the road to Emmaus when when their eyes were opened and they recognized the Lord and they were so excited and they even though it was late in the day they got up and were hurrying back to Jerusalem and says they got up that very hour in, in verse 33 of the last chapter of Luke and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. So there's a good group of people here. And they came in. And those people there said to him, The Lord has really has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then these two brothers began to relate their experience, it says in verse 35, on the road and how he, rec- he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. So, so in 1 Corinthians 15, it, it says that he appeared to Simon. This makes reference to that. That Jesus had made an appearance to Simon. Why would he do that? And, and when the women came to the, to the, to the tomb and the, and the angels told them, go and tell them. He said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. He gets special mention and a special appearance. Well, he needed that, didn't he? If you've ever had a great failure in life, you wonder, is it all over? Am I just done? Is there nothing left for me? I'm finished. I got nothing. You ever, you ever feel, feel that way? Peter felt that way. And Jesus is saying to him, No, no, you're not done. It's not over. Oh, praise the Lord for that. Now to the last chapter in the Gospel of John. Jesus is going to do one more thing. So you remember the story. Disciples have been fishing on the lake. Jesus is on shore. and He's already got some fish. Started breakfast. They come in and drag their fish. Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to shore. When 
when he recognized that it was the Lord there on the shore. And in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast of John 21, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter, the, the loud, outspoken one, who said, even if all the rest of these guys desert you, not me. Now he says more contritely, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now, Peter never never went back again. He never lost it again like that. Well, I'm not saying he lived a perfect life. But Peter went on to serve the risen Lord Jesus who had restored him and eventually experienced death and execution because of his faith in Christ. So Peter came from a great failure. Are you you identifying with any of these people yet? Mary Magdalene from great darkness, Peter from great failure. The next is a little more obscure in some ways. You may have not have guessed who that next person is. The one who came from great privilege. What does that mean? I'll have to explain that. This person is first mentioned, and we're not even going to go there for the sake of time, in Matthew 13, 55, and it is James, the brother of Jesus, the, the eldest of the, of the four sons that would be born to both Mary and Joseph. James and Simon and Joseph and Judas are their names. But let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 12. Acts 12. And we're just going to look at some mentions of this great man. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, James is also mentioned individually as one whom the Lord Jesus appeared to. Now why would he do that? Think about that. But James came from a place of great privilege. What in the world does that mean? Well, think about it. Who spent more time with Jesus? Now, the twelve were with him for several years or so. But who spent a lot more time than that? How about 20 plus years? His brothers and his sisters. James being the eldest of them. And we, we, we noticed last time when we did the introduction to James that James and his brothers, the scripture tells us, did not believe in, in, in Jesus, believed that he was the Messiah until after his resurrection. So strong was the animosity in, in that family that 
on the cross, he says to John, referring to his mother, he says, Behold your mother, woman, behold your son. He entrusted the care of his elderly, I don't know if she's elderly, but older, <laughs> widowed mother to John because the, the, the turmoil in the family between him and his brothers was so strong. Before Jesus went to Jerusalem that last week, the Gospels record that his brothers were, in a sense, speaking to him mockingly, scornfully, sarcastically about what he was, he was doing. Things were not well between them. But after his resurrection, they believed. And so his brothers and sisters were there in that upper room in Acts chapter 1. So, so James had the privilege of, of spending all this time growing up knowing Jesus. That'd be pretty sweet. But yet he found himself in unbelief until after the resurrection. So we meet James again. The the brothers were there in Acts chapter 1 in that upper room where prayer was going up. And in in Acts chapter 12 in verse 17... Peter's been released from prison by the angel. He's gone to the house where, where a prayer meeting has been taking place for him and so forth. And so after he's finished speaking to them, it says in verse 17, motioning, and this is Peter, motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren, and he left them and went to another place. So, in a, you know, as I, as I look at my own life and how long it took me to, to get from A to B spiritually, James has really come a long way in a short period of time. And now he's all, he's considered to be among the foremost leaders of the Jerusalem church. That's really something. It says something about this man. Flip a couple pages ahead to 15, and, and we have this, this uh, great council in, in, uh, in Jerusalem where they're looking again at the gospel. What are we supposed to be preaching to the Gentiles? And Paul is making a defense of what he has preached to them. And in, and in James uh, 15, they're coming to a conclusion here. And it says, so after they had stopped speaking, James answered, brethren, listen to me. And he goes on to make this address to them. So James is a, is a leader here in the Jerusalem church. And then towards the end, towards the end of Acts in verse chapter 21, in verse 18. So, so Paul has returned to Jerusalem that last time and he's brought with them an offering for, for uh, the, the poor saints there in, in Jerusalem and uh, he's going to get arrested here. He's going to get in trouble. But in uh, Acts 21 it says 
After we, this is Paul speaking here, or, or Luke actually as he writes, after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly, and the following day Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. So, so James was, was a leader in the Jerusalem church, and in other things that we could deduce about him from what the scripture says, James stayed in Jerusalem until he was killed there by the religious leaders. But he had such a reputation that that unbelieving Jews even held him in high regard. But certainly the Christians did. In, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 12, there's another mention of James. And this is kind of something just in passing, so to speak. But in, in Galatians 2, uh, and Paul is, is writing about this. He said, uh, you know, he, he mentions here, for example, here's Peter in verse 11. When, when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and was holding himself aloof. And we remember this account. Paul had to rebuke Peter for this. But, but when, the, when the gospel had, had come to Antioch and the people were getting saved, James sent some brothers over there. Check this out. So, so there's James again. And then we met him, of course, in James chapter 1, verse 1, where he describes himself as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So James was a man who came from a place of great privilege and having known the Lord Jesus from his earliest memories of childhood. And yet, it took him a while to come to faith. It is possible for you to know all the facts, to have a Bible knowledge, to accept that it's true and accurate, and not be saved. What's lacking? To bow the knee before Jesus Christ. So James knew more than anybody but yet he wasn't saved until he surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ the fourth person is a man who was saved from great religion you probably know who that is that's Paul himself boy he was he was the best of the best and though young he was granted this commission from the chief priests to go after these followers of Jesus, wasn't he? Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to uh, Damascus to uh, root out these Christians. Bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. And the Lord Jesus appears to him. In the brighter than the noonday sun. And he falls to the ground. Who are you, Lord, he says. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Is 
tells him to go into town. I'll tell you later what you're going to do. And he told him that some guy named Ananias, who he'd never met, would come to him and pray for him. And Ananias did this. Now, the story of Ananias is a great one. Ananias is in bed. He's, it's nighttime. And he has a vision from the Lord. Go to this address. Talk to Saul of Tarsus. Pray for him. And Ananias, of course, he uh, has some objections here. We know who this guy is. He's a killer. And we know he's got warrants from the leaders in Jerusalem to come here. But God does not explain to Ananias. He just says, go. He's a chosen instrument of mine. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for me. That made no sense to Ananias. So he gets up to go. So, remember last time I shared, Brendan, when I get up to leave the room, Brendan says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to heaven when I die. So Ananias gets up. His wife says, where are you going? The Lord spoke to me in a vision. Really? Not everybody gets these. I've never had a vision. What did he say? He said to go to Straight Street to the house of Judas and see Saul of Tarsus. No! She must have wailed. You aren't ever coming back if you go there. Are you sure? Apparently, if God ever taps you on the shoulder in the middle of the night, you'll know it's him. Seems to work that way. Even in in, in, the, in the scriptures, there are cases of unbelievers whom God has spoken to in a dream or a vision. They knew it was the Lord. So Ananias went, kind of surely muttering over and over to himself, chosen instrument. He gets there. Door opens. What do you want? My name is Ananias. Come in. Oh, he thinks now he's going to get it. Walk over to another door and say, Ananias is here. Send him in. He does not know what he's going to face. But there in the darkness of this room is this disheveled-looking little man sitting on the floor in the corner. And boy, his eyes look a fright. And... Saul of Tarsus explains to him, I saw Jesus on the road coming here today. No. (laughs) And Saul tells him what happens. And then Ananias understands and he says, puts his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, receive your son. But Saul of Tarsus, taking his Gentile name Paul, was saved from great religion. In Acts 22, where he gives his testimony, and it's one of several places, but Acts 22, he he talks about this Damascus Road experience. And... 
now he says the end of his address he said I'm God said that he would send me away to the Gentiles well at that point all the Jews were done with him that was the end of that He gives his, he refers to his testimony in Galatians chapter 1 as well. We'll look at a couple of tidbits as we close there. Galatians 1. Because so after he was saved, he went away after he, after he, the Christians put him out of Damascus to keep him from getting killed. And he went away into Arabia. Uh, so he says in verse 15, for example, For when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but I went away to Arabia and then returned once more to Damascus so the the risen Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus in chapter 9 he gets saved and also appeared to him in Arabia and gave him the gospel he was to preach. Because he makes clear here and in other places that he did not receive the gospel that he preached from the other apostles, but from the Lord Jesus himself. And then he says here, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, and stayed with him 15 days. I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And so back in back in Acts chapter 9, and and, and so in the in the compression of, of details, sometimes we don't realize sometimes the period of time in between. But in uh, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. When he, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles, described how he had seen the Lord on the road, and he talked to them, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And then... They sent him away to Tarsus. And then we don't hear from him for nine years until Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him to Antioch to teach the, the new Christians, the Gentiles. Now, in 1 Timothy, see some of it on the wall here behind me. Paul says this about himself. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. 
Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was more abundant with the faith and love that are found in Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy. And we'll end up finally again in 1 Corinthians 15. We read this a little bit earlier. Paul writing after naming all, some of these whom the Lord appeared to and 500 at one time and so forth and to all the apostles and last of all in 1 Corinthians 15.8 as to one untimely born he appeared to me also. Why does he say untimely born? What does he mean by that? Well, seeing I, I was born again after all these wonderful things happened. Paul probably never saw Jesus before his crucifixion. He could have, but he was not interested. One untimely born. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That's what he said about himself. So, we have four individuals. One who came from great darkness. One who came from great failure. One who came from great privilege. And one who came from great religion. Do you see yourself in any one of these or or multiples? And that the Lord Jesus singled out these individuals and appeared to them that they might be saved. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's close it. And Father, we do thank you that the Lord Jesus sees every tear that falls from our, our eyes. He sees every broken heart. He sees every wounded spirit. Lord, we thank you that he, he came to these people. Surely he has come to us as well. Thank you, God, for our Savior for his love and mercy that we need every day. So we give thanks and praise in his name. Amen.